Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Windshape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. If you've listened to The Savvy Sauce for very long, you've likely already met today's guest, Kathleen Edelman. We loved getting to know her first in episodes 72 and 73 when we initially discussed how to understand temperaments to improve our relationships. So if you missed that episode, I recommend you start there before listening today and I'll add links in the show notes. Otherwise, we assume everyone is coming in with at least a guess or a basic understanding of what their temperament is. So this is going to be version 2.0. And so for the seventh most popular episode from 2021, we're now going to build on that knowledge of temperaments as Kathleen shares unique ways to apply our understanding to parenting. Here's our chat. Welcome back to the Savvy Sauce, Kathleen. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me and what an exciting time this is going to be today. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to it. And would you just start by giving us a refresh about what the four colors are and what they represent with each temperament? Oh, absolutely. So Hippocrates studied them 2000 years ago. And so there's four temperaments, choleric, melancholy, phlegmatic, and sanguine. We've matched them with colors, so they're easier to remember. So the choleric's red, sanguine's yellow, melancholy's blue, and the green is phlegmatic. Now, these temperaments are foundational in what I teach in communication. So each person naturally responds a certain way. That's what studies over these 2,000 years have shown us. So what you're going to find is people speak a natural language right out of their temperament. And each temperament speaks their own language. So what we try to do through the knowledge of temperaments and understanding the colors and what they mean is, what do we have a tendency to do and say? And then have grace understanding what other people will do and say and what that looks like. And it was so helpful in your first book. There are so many visuals. And one of them, just to give everybody a picture if they don't have their book in front of them, there are four quadrants. And if you look at the top left, that's yellow. And then moving clockwise, it goes from yellow to red to blue to green. And so with that in mind, as we try to discover our children's temperament, how much diversity can we expect to exist within each of those types? Here's the thing we want to know. First, we want to look at that quadrant. And I think you're speaking about the charts that are in the book. I said this, you heard that, which if you have it, it's on page 65, that the two top ones, we have to understand this when we're identifying our children. The two top ones are extroverts, meaning thoughts and emotions go outward. They talk before they think. The two bottom, the blue and green introverts, they think before they talk. And then you have the side-to-side, Laura. You have the blue and the reds that are task-oriented. They're doers. 
where the green and the yellow are people-oriented. They'll pick relationships over tasks. So the first thing when we're even identifying our child is we can just look at those things. Then when they do an assessment, if they do an assessment, they're going to have a dominant and a secondary. Now, over the 30 years I've done this, the percentages, that's what makes people uniquely different. When, like, I happen to be a blue-green, my son is a blue-green, but I sit in blue much heavier than Bryce does. So even though we speak the same language, which this is what I teach is kind words, our thoughts and our words are very similar. Our innate needs are even the same. But we sit in that blue-green temperament a little bit differently. So what's going to be observed more quickly in me is the blue, where Bryce is a little bit closer to 60-40, where I'm like an 80-20. But again, when we're communicating, which is the key, we communicate much closer, much easier, much more fluent than even me and my daughter, who's a yellow-green. So in the yellow and the blue, Avery and I are polar opposites. So she uses words and thoughts that don't even cross my mind. So that's where all this foundation is critical when you're talking about learning yourself and your children. And that's so fascinating because we share the same faith. And I think that just already points to our designer, creator, God, just like our fingerprints. Everything is so individualized. Yes. Even in our belief, we want to make it sometimes so difficult, but it's so simple. He's there for us. He died for us, you know, and here's the thing. He created us all beautifully perfect in his eyes, in the way that our temperament fits our calling and purpose. So children, you know, are so pure in their temperament because their heart is pure until the world starts telling them differently. So if we can get children to understand how God created them and be the best authentic version of themselves in their strengths, their calling, their purpose, they will thrive because they're right with the Holy Spirit in God's path. And so let's elaborate on that. What are the strengths and weaknesses of each color? Well, there's an exhaustive list in each color. There'll be one in the, I said that you heard that book where it lists like 40. And then in the new book, we, we geared it more to a big list for children. But let's just dabble in this a little bit. So if you have a yellow child, their strengths are going to be, they're going to be curious. They're going to be full of energy. They're going to be creative, imaginative. They're going to like adventure but they're going to be rambunctious. They're going to be wiggly. They're going to be dramatic, maybe overcommit, be impulsive, make excuses. So even as adults, it is critical that we accept not only our strengths, but we're very aware of our weaknesses. Because what we talked about, I'm sure, Laura, last time we spoke is that people will say, well, like, why do we have to talk about the weaknesses? <laughs> why do we even don't want to know that? You know, aren't we trying to be our best? And, but it's very hard to know if it's light out if you don't know dark. 
or it's hard to know if somebody's being loud if you don't know quiet. So God, again, so intentional. He gives us weaknesses so we will know our strengths. For this yellow, she, this person knows they're creative or imaginative because they know they can be compulsive talkers or elaborate and exaggerate. So this is why we have weaknesses. For the red, it's going to look like they're persuasive, they're decisive, independent, they like challenges, they're producing something every day, they just wake up wanting to get something done. But they can also be argumentative, decide for others, blame others, be demanding. A lot of children will come off as know-it-alls, they know everything, and they'll even tell their parents that, right? Um, blues, they're creative. They like to work well alone. They do well working alone. They're purposeful. They love to learn. They're creative problem solvers. But they can also be fearful. Um, as children especially, they can be awkward socially. They're guarded. They can be jealous. They can actually also be, for a child, self-sabotaging. Like they'll cut it off before it happens to them to avoid the hurt or the failure. And then green, their strengths are they're agreeable, they're generous, they're great team players, um, they're friendly, and surprisingly, they're very witty. They're just, their dry humor, even as little children, it can be hysterical. Um, but they're slow moving, they're stubborn, they resist change, they're sarcastic, and they tend to be uninvolved. So this is a little bit of the foundation of strengths and weaknesses within the temperament. But there's so many more, and but these give you a kickstart of what you're kind of looking for. It even, Laura, gives you a kickstart of what words to listen to when you're speaking to your child or listening to your child. And are there any other tips you have for identifying our children's temperaments? Yeah, well, uh, what I just said about these words, let me expand on that a little bit. When I said each temperament speaks their own language, the words that were put in the first book and even in the second book are very intentional. When I say these strengths and weaknesses, we can usually use those lists as like a cheat sheet for listening to your children, especially when we talk about the innate needs. That's also a cheat sheet. So a tip to identifying your children is listen to understand. Listen, not to respond, but listen to the words that they use. My son would say something like, what's planned today? I have to have a strategy, so I need to know what's going on. Okay, that's a very blue statement because Avery would say, is anybody coming over today? Can we have a play date? Can I have Jessica over? And I would say, what are you going to do? I don't know. We'll decide when she gets here. Okay, that's a very yellow statement. So just listening to how your children communicate and listening to understand, they will use words right from the core of their temperament. Another way you can identify them, is, of course, is through behavior or especially photographs. People take so many photographs right now. If you looked at photographs of your children, you will see the temperament playing right out in front of you. You'll have the child that's animated and hands up in the air and making a funny face. And you'll have the other child that literally looks like they're in pain. 
you know, that they're, you put them in front of a, you know, you're taking their picture. So watching their behavior, but especially Laura, listening to the words that they use, or even in a discussion, not even with just you, but maybe with a friend or a teacher, everybody will talk until they learn to be fluent in the other temperaments. Everybody will talk out of their own lens. And so for that picture example, the first one, the animated one, that would be a yellow. And I'm wondering, the one who looks like they're in pain, is that referring to the blue? It's probably the blue or it's the green. If they were like lounging in a lawn chair and then you wanted to take a beach picture, they might be sitting there with their shoulders shrugged, like, get out, you know, take the picture already. I want to chill. You know, the red might be organizing everybody in the picture. Let me No, you stand here. You stand here. I'm going to stand here. And they'll look alert and a lot of times have kind of a little fake smile, you know, because they're checking the box. Oh, here's the annual family photo. Check the box. And now they're off doing something. Oh, wow. That's helpful. And I'm just wondering, are there any colors that we may frequently get confused or they might be difficult to figure out until our kids are a little bit older? I love I love this question because here's what we have to understand. First of all, you can identify a child's temperament as early as nine months. What we want to remember with the temperaments again, is that we're not labeling or putting children in boxes or people or adults or anything. What we know is that people naturally respond a certain way. So when you're talking about children, you may get them confused a little bit. But again, if you listen to the words, it will clarify it. A blue child at home where they feel comfortable and remember the innate needs Two of the innate needs of the blue is safety and sensitivity. So if that young blue feels safe and they feel understood, and maybe they have a passion for singing, they will sing on the hearth in front of their family all day long because it's a safe environment. But if you take that same child out and you go, oh, you're at the park. You say, why don't you sing that song for my friend Jane and her kids? That blue child will melt because you, we want to never put a blue child on the spot like that without asking their permission. So again, I get a parents that come in and go, well, you know, she's, when she's at home, she's singing and she's funny and this and that, but you know, I, so I think she must have some yellow and then it ends up being a blue child. So again, understanding them to the core is important. Also, there's nothing in even the strengths and weaknesses that one temperament owns. So for example, what do I mean by that? Yellows are often identified as funny or reds as, you know, good leaders. Okay. Yes, they're innately wired for those things, but in the temperament strengths, all the temperaments can be funny. When you're in your strengths, all the temperaments can be a good leader. So again, how do we identify it? We watch their words. We see their behavior of how they're accomplishing it. What's the motive? How is it happening? 
So if you have a yellow child that sings at home and then you say, sing for Janie and they sing away, but then you have another child that sings at home, but put it out in public, they jump behind your legs. That's a red flag. That's, that's a, that's a different child. So it's really watching words and actions and never putting a child or a person in a box like that. Okay. And so I remember from last time that we have a primary and a secondary. So once we do believe that we understand our child's primary color, how can we next uncover their secondary color? Okay. This is why everything I've done for my career, Laura, has been through because of communication. Because you'll hear me over and over. This is why kind words are important to me over and over to listen to how the person communicates. Okay. So you have a secondary. The secondary is number one, always with you. Like when I have adults, they'll say, well, I think I'm red at work, but I'm blue at home. Okay. Cannot happen. You're, you're red and blue all the time. You may use strengths of your red at work and strengths of your blue at home, but you are continuously both temperaments all the time. And the reason I emphasize that is, again, back to the innate needs. That's the key point for what I teach. We're always from day one trying to fill these innate needs. So with children, at some point, we have to start watching for verbiage or action of their secondary. Because a green-yellow is going to look very different than a green-blue. A green-yellow will say, oh my gosh, I'm almost done with school. It's almost Friday. I cannot wait to have friends over. We're going to have a bonfire. We're going to make s'mores. A green-blue is going to say, oh my gosh, the week's almost over. I can't wait to chill. I'm not going to make any plans until I decide if I even want to go outside. I might just read a book. So it's just, again, listening to what they communicate. And then why is that important to you as a parent? Because you are responsible to be teaching them to be in their strengths and know that everything they're doing is motivated to be filling these innate needs. That's what separates me from all other studies, are those understanding of those innate needs. That's the game changer. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, Windshape Marriage, with you. Windshape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. Windshape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, Windshape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of Windshape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at Windshape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. 
To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, winshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. Okay, so Kathleen, I think it's important to unpack what you mean when you say that knowing and leaning into these core needs of each color is such a game changer. It, it is because everybody has been trying to fill these innate needs since you were born. So number one, if you have a red child and you understand they are in their strengths or in their weaknesses, looking to fill loyalty, sense of control, appreciation, and credit for work. What we're trying to teach our children is, what do those definitions mean to you? After 30 years, what I did in the I Said This, You Heard That book is I put the definitions I heard the most to kind of kickstart the understanding of defining these innate needs for people. When you talk to a red, loyalty means what I heard the most, Laura, was that it meant everybody pulling their own weight and having this person's back, like being prioritized. Okay, if you just know that now and you have a red child, you're going to immediately change the way you talk to that child. You're going to know that they're wired for quick decisions, leadership delegating. They want to be part of the decision making. Even when they're little, they, they're they independent. So have their back and appreciate them and say, hey, I really appreciate. I think you could clean your room. In fact, I think that you could come up with a better strategy than I do. And I would love you to teach me. Okay. They would think that was a challenge. And they would be, well, mom, I think this goes here. And dad, I think this would be better here. And it may not be what we want, but at least we're filling these innate needs of the child. And they're going to take that all the way up into adulthood. Red adults have the same set of innate needs. So yellows, attention, affection, approval, and acceptance. This is what they're looking for continuously. And We have to understand that every choice we make, every word that we choose, remember, the words you use are the words you choose, are trying to fill these innate needs. Mine is safety, sensitivity, support, space, and silence. The first person who's responsible to fill these needs is it's between me and God. And then... My husband wants to know he's not responsible to fill them, but in order to love me better, he would know them. And for order for me to love him better, I know his. And then together we know our children. And then eventually our children knew us. So, for example, Avery, who's a yellow, would say when I would come home from work, she would say, Mom, I know you need 10 minutes. Because I know you need to process, but I have this great story to tell you. She, even at 10, showed me sensitivity and support. And then I was able to go and process. And then I would come out and be able to give her acceptance, attention. Attention for a yellow usually means full focus and eye contact. And I could come out to her and say, Well, thank you for waiting. I am so excited I can listen to your story now and not have any distractions. 
So if we understood the importance and the impact of these innate needs, it would change every single conversation and relationship that you have, not just parent-child, but work environments, coaching, teaching, siblings, everything. But it's from that core of innate needs. And so we've covered the red and then the yellow and the blue core needs. Could you give a few examples for the greens as well? Absolutely. The greens, this is our peaceful. So their innate needs are harmony, lack of stress, feeling of worth, and respect. So for example, a very quiet green child, respect the definition that's in the book, What I heard most was being asked for their opinions or ideas. So this is a child that I have to work on advocating for themselves, even adults. But when you go up to that green child and you say, hey, we're we're planning a family weekend. We would love to have your thoughts and opinions on what might be fun to do. That fills that green's value and respect. Now, we have to be prepared as parents for a green's response because they'll only have an idea if they're interested. They may say, if they're interested in kayaking, they may say, well, maybe we can go kayaking up in Hiawassee. But if they honestly do not care, that's when you're going to get, I'm good with whatever. I'm good with whatever you guys choose. And Right then, again, knowing that temperament to the core, a lot of parents get their feathers ruffled when when green children say that. But if they say it, they really do not care. But what you did was you asked them their opinion and idea, so you did fill respect. And as that green child learns, let's say I'm their mother, they may respond instead of saying, I don't care, you choose. They might say, I'll honor whatever you come up with. You, you're going to do the research because I know, you know you're blue. You're going to do the research, and I'm sure you'll come up with something that's really fun for the whole family. See, now they're learning to use their words and advocate and love another person better. Well, tying that into what we were discussing earlier, do all of us have both the needs of our primary and secondary? Yes. So when I work with people in my office, we we start with just the dominant, just so that we can get used to and um, learn the verbiage. But then you absolutely have to know the needs of your secondary, because, again, you're constantly trying to fill those. I'm a perfect example. I love when people take things off my plate so that they don't become too overwhelming and less stressful. Even though I just used overwhelming, which is a very blue statement, really what I'm looking for is less stress to keep conflict and confrontation out of things. Um, And that's the green part of me. So knowing all eight of each temperament is going to be, it's not a negotiable. You would have to know all eight. And it's, again, The only way that you're going to become fluent in your own language, dominant and secondary, is to use it. So, Laura, what I do is I go through these four steps. Once you do the assessment, you have to accept your temperament. The next part of the steps is awareness. 
What do, what words do I use? What's my core motives? Then look out at other people. Watch the words they use. What motivates them? Then it's application. And it's in that application that you become fluent or you become the fourth step, which is authentic. So it's acceptance, awareness, application, authenticity. And it's in that authenticity where you're, where you're centered because you're, you know how to speak kindly to yourself and to other people, but you've got to apply it. Like I say to people all the time, the only reason I am this fluent in the temperaments is because I talk about it every single day. So if I wanted to be fluent in Spanish, I would have to try to speak it every single day. So we just have to learn to have it become part of who we are. I would never want people doing the temperaments. I want them being the temperaments. And as you're speaking, I'm having an aha moment. I am a yellow green, but I've never realized how important the green core needs are. And even just being invited to share an opinion that feels so respectful. And I think you're connecting that for me. And it then helps me understand none of my children are primary green, but we're trying to decipher if one of them has that as a secondary. And so now I think that helps me relate to them and my husband's a green. So that helps as well. So thank you. Yo, you're welcome. Because let me ask you a question. If you were in a meeting and, you know, the yellow part of you is there, but you have an idea and let's say the meeting's kind of going on a fast pace, what's your likelihood of speaking up and breaking into a conversation with an opinion rather than a story? Not very likely, and especially if I don't feel safe, Mm -hmm. even less likely. Yep. And that's the green part of you. A thought process probably says, well, somebody else will think of it. Yep. Or, you know, right? That, or, you know, just a lot was going on. You know, maybe I'll bring it up later. The difference between the blue and the green in the meeting, because I would probably do the same thing, is you and I would leave the meeting. The blue is going to find a colleague and I'm going to say, hey, I didn't get a chance to say my idea and I would share it with somebody. When the green leaves the meeting, the idea usually goes with them hmm. and it's never brought back up again. And that's where I want greens to really learn that their thoughts and opinions matter. They really do matter. That's so good. Well, Ephesians 4.29 is your theme verse, and it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And you highlight how Paul uses this word let so that we know it's a choice. And if it is a choice, then how do we train our kids to choose to operate out of their strengths rather than defaulting to their weaknesses? First, we have to do it. That's the first thing. I mean, we cannot yell at our children and expect them not to yell or use unwholesome or unhealthy wording and expect them not to do it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is 
why this verse is so pointing on to me it's be, is because you can literally make it a, a four sentence outline because we have to teach them that every word you use is a you choose so it's their choice nobody's making them say something or do something but then is what is unwholesome you know a lot of kids go through and they think well that's curse words or you know saying potty words or and that's not what that means it means anything that's unhelpful to another person and then it even talks about the needs Laura in the verse any unwholesome words we not say so you can put your name in there. I'll use my own. This was a prayer that my own family did. And I still do to this day. My kids are adults. Kathleen, no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Only what builds Brad up, who's my husband, according to his needs. And then I'd list all eight of his needs and benefit Bryce and Avery. So we right there, changing and inserting your name into Ephesians 4.29 is going to change everything. You have your kids do it because all of a sudden now they're thinking, you know, this is an outline. When I put my name in here, am I really doing it right? And where that comes from is, again, the innate needs. Remember, in Scripture, it also says on your tongue lays the power of life or death. It doesn't say any gray area there. It says think and speak on what's noble, pure, lovely. If you look up all the words in that verse, they all tell us how we, our words should come out to other people. But then what's fascinating to me, too, is it says, why do we quarrel and fight? And it also says in Scripture, it's because we're not getting our way. So when you are not getting these innate needs and you choose, for example, a yellow chooses to interrupt instead of showing curiosity or red chooses to be bossy instead of delegating well or a blue uses remembering the negatives instead of being compassionate or the green chooses unenthusiastic over being kind that is us trying to fill one of those neat needs but we're trying to do it without the help of the holy spirit because the holy spirit is on your strength side so we really have to teach our children, by example, I have a tendency to be bossy, but God gave me so many strengths. And in this situation, I'm going to choose to be a good leader. I'm going to choose to be decisive. I'm going to choose. Maybe you choose one of your secondaries. I'm going to choose to be thoughtful. I'm going to choose to be curious. You have all these lists of strengths and kids get it so quickly, so quickly. But also as parents, we want to pause and say, okay, my child's throwing a tantrum. I do not want to react to the what that's happening. I want to respond to the why. What innate need is not being filled right now and what can I help them with or what could I say or do differently to coach them through this? We have too many parents that react to the what and they immediately go into punishment. What, how is that teaching your child to stay in their strengths? No, we want to ask them, geez, what could you have said or done differently here? I know what I could have said. I know what my part was. 
what was your part and what could you have done differently? Wow. So respond to the why rather than react to the what. Exactly. Most people react to the what. A child spills something on the carpet and they immediately, you know, punishment. Okay. We have to remember that kids were trying to paint the white line before the guardrail. Kids especially are wired to hit the guardrail. That's how they learn. So just like most miscommunication is not intentional, a lot of children's behavior comes from them learning where the guardrail is. Do you see? So instead of punishing for them spilling the juice on the white rug, we get down and we say, we respond and say, well, that was interesting. What was the thought process there? What did you think would happen when you did that in a calm way, right? And you get down and you clean it with them and you find out what they were trying to learn. And maybe it was, well, you were talking on the phone and I really wanted to tell you a story. So I knew if I told this, you would turn around. Okay. That in and of itself is a huge red flag on both your sides that they know that they are going to get attention if they do something wrong. That's even in itself a, a whole new episode. It sounds like so much of this is training and teaching. So how do you recommend we point out our kids' negative and positive tendencies? Well, what I have found, again, over 30 years is we have just the reaction to the what going on, which we just talked about. But also, I find that parents, they are more shocked when a child does something good. For example, you walk into your child's bedroom and they made their bed. And you go, oh, you made your bed. If within your family values, one of the things is we make our beds when we wake up. We don't want to be surprised about that. We want to be surprised when they don't make their bed because it's out of character. It's out of the family values. It's not using their strengths. So it's instead it would look something like when I would say it to Avery, I'd go, I am really surprised you didn't make your bed today. Tell me what was happening. What was going on? There must be a story behind it because she's yellow. And she would tell me the story and we would be making the bed. And I would go, I would absolutely see how that could happen. Next time that comes out of the blue, how do you think you might handle that? And she goes, well, maybe I'll tell you before or I'll make the bed and then I'll call my friend. And they work it out on their own. So we've got to make sure that, first of all, in our homes, we have family values. Second of all, you want to, when they go out of character of their strengths, be more surprised. But then you want to make them aware of their weaknesses. In communication, we always, always, 1,000% of the time, we want to validate what the other person is saying and then speak their language. So if Bryce showed frustration and he chose to throw his Thomas the train, my first thing isn't, why dare you? We don't throw our toys. I'm taking those trains away. How is that going to teach him to stay in his strengths? That's not going to teach him to stay in his strengths. It'll teach him to throw the train when you're not in the room, right? The kids are very smart. What I would do is I would get on my knees so he and I were face to face and I would say, buddy, 
I can see that you are really frustrated. Tell me what part of the trains are frustrating you. Can you show me? And now I'm validating that his feeling is true. And then once he shows it to me, I say, so you're so good at strategy and building. What might you do different next time? And then he would show me. So now what have we done? We've guided him from a weakness to a strength. And there's no punishment there. He's looking for the guardrail. He's responding to his core need of sensitivity, which means to be understood. So again, stopping and and validating and then speaking their language, letting them know, yeah, I can see you're frustrated. Or another way, Laura, is to say, you know, you do have a tendency to lose your temper or you do have a tendency to interrupt. So when mommy's talking to an adult, what strength could you use? What could you do differently? Because I know how important it is for you to tell me a story. So again, I've connected it. I've told them they have this weakness. I've told them, though, in teaching them they have a choice to make a strength. And both of those are connected to an innate need. So we've covered a few ways to meet our children's core needs and longings. And we know we're not solely responsible for that as parents. And Jesus ultimately fulfills that. But then on the flip side, when is enough enough as a parent? And what I mean by that is, let's use that example of the yellow child wanting our attention, but we have deadlines or tasks that actually have to get done. So how do we pour into their core need and yet not neglect ourselves or our responsibilities? I love this question. I actually love how you kicked it off. Because the one thing that we're learning through this whole journey is you, Laura, your temperament, you said, was yellow-green, correct? Correct. You have a love tank. That's what I call it. Your innate needs are your love tank. You learning what those mean to you and how you have, how you would become your best person is through your relationship with God, right? He's going to show you how he designed you to be in your strengths, not for your purpose, but for his purpose. So once your love tank is full, then you can pour it into your marriage or your children. What I see a lot is parents trying to function when their own love tank is on a reserve. That's going to be very difficult. Let's just say that right out of the gate. It's very difficult to give what you don't have. So it'll be difficult to parent in a way that we want to parent if we're not taking care of ourselves first, which is exactly kind of how you kick this off. The second thing about that, though, is once we understand our innate needs and we understand the needs of our children, The more you fill their love tank consistently, the less that they will feel they have to use their weaknesses. So when you have a yellow child that's being filled with kind words and in their strengths and their love tank is full and they're learning how to do it themselves, 
you will have less time where you have to intervene because they're using a weakness. Let's just get that on the table too. But let's say what you're asking is you have a yellow child, again, that for some reason is choosing to interrupt. And now maybe you're a blue parent that you're not getting your stuff done or you're um, a red parent that everything on your task list is priority and it's distracting. The first thing, again, we have to ask is what is going on? Not reacting to the what, but what's the why that this child would choose to interrupt instead of showing curiosity, instead of using their imagination, instead of being creative, instead of using the words of, hey, when you have 10 minutes, I want I would love to listen to your story. The thing is, I don't ever want loving another person to feel like a like it's a task. I think when we master this and we just use kind words and words that lift up, as it says in Ephesians 4.29, instead of tear down, you're going to get people who are functioning more in their strengths. So you'll have less time that you have to deal with the weaknesses. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm also wondering if there's a piece of maturity, because if a three-year-old is having a really hard time controlling their impulsivity and interrupting, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that would look very different than a nine-year-old struggling with that same thing. Another great question. First of all, let me say this because I get this all the time. Parents call me in a in a tizzy and they go, oh my gosh, is it too late? My kids are in middle school or they're in college. First of all, I think God's a God of perfect timing and order. So even your listeners that are listening for the first time today, this is when they were supposed to receive this message. So I think wherever you are when you hear it is exactly where you're supposed to be. Now, with that said, I would love children to learn this as early as possible. The reason I can say that now is somebody taught me a long time ago to not teach through something I haven't lived through. Well, I've taught the temperaments longer than both of my children have been alive. And I see the benefit from young children having this be a part of who they are. So a three-year-old that understands that they are throwing a tantrum because mommy doesn't have the time to give them focus and eye contact right now, they can learn that at three. You can tell them, I can see that you're frustrated because you want to tell me the story now. It is okay to go in the other room and roll around and throw your tantrum. And you let them feel it. They're feelers. And then you'll be shocked. You'll come back in the kitchen and they'll be getting a popsicle out of the freezer. And they'll be like, I feel better. <laughs> you know, And that's because you allowed them to be who they are. The nine-year-old, again, if that's when they learned it, let's use this. That if you have somebody who's a child who's learned it since they're three, they, they will look like a different nine-year-old. If you start at nine, they're still going to learn it very quickly because children, again, until the world starts telling them something different, they learn the temperaments very quickly. So you're not too late at the nine. They're going to get it too. 
because we're going to teach them age appropriate. Even if they're 15 and they're fully cognitive thinking now, they have the best questions when they work with me. Like, well, then how would this work when I, if I wanted to go on a date or if I was interviewing for a job, you know, and then they, they like get their parents very quickly. So yes, it can look different, but it's also when they learn the information. Have you checked out our library of articles available at thesavvysauce.com? New posts are added multiple times a month related to parenting, intimacy and marriage, personal development, habits, and other topics connected to what we discuss here on The Savvy Sauce. If you sign up to join our email list, you're also going to enjoy little extras delivered straight to your inbox. Our hope is to encourage you to have your own practical chats for intentional living. So these freebies will include things like questions that you can ask on your next date night, safe resources to read to promote enjoyment in your intimacy and marriage, or questions to ask your kids to connect at a more relational level. We hope you check out all the available reads at thesavvysauce.com under the Articles tab. Kathleen, what are some common rubs between the color combinations of parents and children? Right out of the gate, the hardest one, and it's the hardest combination even in marriage or friendships, is the red-green combination. Remember earlier when we were saying, you know, to ask the green their thoughts and opinions, and they respond sometimes by saying, you know, whatever, it's okay. The greens have a beautiful ability to be content when they're content. And so I've had a lot of issues with parents that are red that just get so incredibly frustrated that they feel their green child is leaving potential on the table when really they're just not interested in playing baseball or they're really just not interested in doing something that the parent wants them to do. With greens, we really have to find out what they're interested in and then fertilize that. So it's this, again, polar misunderstanding of the thought process. Because when you have those diagonal temperaments with each other, there can be a lot of conflict just because they are complete polar opposite in thought and action. Now, if we can have grace and honor each other's strengths, those polar opposite diagonals are also the strongest relationships. That's why you see a lot, a lot opposites attract in marriage. A lot of marriages that are polar opposite because when they were dating, they threw all their strengths on the table and it made a very strong bond. But then the one thing that all the temperaments share is selfishness. And the only person that shares all the strengths of the temperaments is Jesus. So there's going to be a rub between any diagonal temperaments. And then the second hardest would probably be a red parent and a red child. Because they're both going to be, I mean, that red child at two or three is going to put themselves at the level of, of the parent. So knowing authority and where they stand and then the parents giving them independence and giving them part of the decision making. It's workable. It's just, again, understanding the temperament to the core. 
And I think something fascinating that I've learned from you previously was when you look at those diagonals, you explained that the green parent red child has the potential for much more conflict in the relationship rather than the other diagonal of the yellow and blue parent child because one diagonal, the yellow and blue, shares some strengths where the other, the green and the red, shares some weaknesses. That's exactly right. You remembered. So the blue and the yellow share creativity and sensitivity. So which lands on their strength side, you'll find many more blues. Like they'll have a a lot of yellow friends. But that red-green combination, what they share is their stubbornness and their strong will. So there's the things that they share are on their weakness side. After your years of experience, it would be great to give a voice to the children. So as those children grew to be adults, what did you consistently hear from each of those adult colors when they reflect back about what they appreciated most from their parents? That's a great question, because what we also have to remember is words spoken over a child can echo in their heart for a lifetime. So I hope that every parent out there picks living kind words over anything else. But I think it was the thing that I hear that does the best is when they say, I'm glad you are my son, or I'm glad you are my daughter, or allowed them to be who they were. My parents allowed me to be who I was, even though I knew it wasn't what they were thinking. So I took even that from early on, Lauren, and I said to myself when my kids were born that what I would, I'm going to really try to do is always try to see the world, not just through temperaments, but through their eyes. So now that my children are dating, I want to see why they love that person. What do they see? Um, not what I see. So again, letting the person be authentically themselves, the people who, who felt like they had that support, I think I hear that most often. Unfortunately, I'm going to be honest with you. I hear the things that tore them down more. Hmm. And that breaks my heart. I think that's a very appropriate conviction, though, and that is why we're so grateful for your resources that you've made available. Will you tell us a little bit more about these books and where we can find or follow you online? Oh, absolutely. So you can go to kindwordsarecool.com. They will have access to both the books. The first one, um, I Said This, You Heard That, which is the foundation a six-week study foundation with free videos um, and an assessment that really is the thing you would, if you came to my office, that's what we would talk about. We would make, we would go through that book and, and use the activities in there for a foundation. Then uh, Grown Ups Guide to Kids Wiring. And it is going to be very impactful. It has the same six-week type study in the front, but then the whole back is color-coded reference guide to understanding children. 
And it is literally for anybody who stands in front of a child, a parent, a grandparent, a coach, a teacher. We're going to teach them how to build them up each and every day. And you can get the book on Amazon. Wonderful. Well, we will link to all of that in our show notes of today's episode. And you know that we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so as my final question for you today, what is your Savvy Sauce? It is self-talk. I think self-talk is crucial, important, and I, I think it determines your destiny of everything you do. Well, Kathleen, you are so wise and so gentle in your approach, and I appreciate your sensitivity to how our words can build each other up and then your willingness and generosity just to impart all of that knowledge into us today. I appreciate so much getting to host you as my guest. Thank you for having me. I think if we could just give the world the gift of kind words, if we would collectively pause and think of our words before we say them and say each word that comes out of our mouth, we want it to be a gift to the person that we're speaking to. I think it would be life-changing. Amen to that. Ever since launching this podcast in 2018, our team has tried to release at least one episode every Monday morning. In addition, we also launched a secret bonus episode for paying patrons on the first of every month. But in 2022, we're changing things up a bit. We will continue to release the bonus episode for paying patrons, but on those weeks when it's the first of the month, that will be the only episode going live, which means next week on Monday, there will not be a brand new episode available for the general public. If you've benefited from any messages on the Savvy Sauce, we would encourage you to support our work through joining Patreon. You can go to thesavvysauce.com Click on the Patreon tab, click join Patreon here, and then follow the prompts so that you can have access to all these bonus episodes and downloadable scripture cards. We hope you join us there. Otherwise, we'll see you back here in two weeks. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death, and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? 
Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.